Hello and welcome to the third installment of our IDG 50 for 50 podcast. I'm Aaron Gordon here with my father, David Gordon. Once again, we can be found at GordonCompanies.com, LinkedIn slash Gordon Companies, Twitter, Gordon Companies, and also on Instagram. Follow our hashtag 50 for 50 or IDG at 50. Hey, Dad. How are you doing? Great. Since we last spoke, uh, a lot has obviously gone on, and we're here now for our third installment celebrating the 50th anniversary of our firm. We've discussed some background to the firm, how we got into it, a little bit about the marketplace. We discussed relationships, both the broker-carrier relationship and the broker-insured relationship. And something that came up in both of the previous podcasts was the idea of a claim and the claim process. Last time you mentioned that although I felt or I feel that most people view claim the claim process as difficult because you're dealing with claim professionals and adjusters who read contracts very strictly and go straight by the letter of the law and that's what often frustrates people that they invest in insurance and then they don't see a return when there's a claim you mentioned that you feel that underwriters are very involved and at the same time uh, one of the quotes that always sticks in my mind that came up in I think our first podcast is that we earn our we earn our living when there are claims so maybe we should discuss the the claim process and you know first how do you feel that over this 50 years that you've been doing this you've been able to differentiate yourself yourself from others well we show up there and we don't have a remote relationship with our clients or with our underwriters we have a one-to-one personal relationship and the in the years that uh, the few years that you've been involved you've met every underwriter who you do business with um, even when they're visiting from London and as a result you develop a relationship with the underwriter that helps you to, to adjudicate the claim process remember everybody that's listening that what the what the client the insured client tells the producer goes forward to the underwriter but is couched in different terms. So we may ask a series of 100 questions to get to know what we're involved with, and we may then describe that as a moving picture rather than a snapshot. So we may say to the, the underwriter, we, we're insuring a house. But we can then go on to describe, and the house is between uh, um, an office building and a vacant lot. Or we can go on to describe that the house is ex- expertly maintained. Or we thought, as you know, Aaron, I, I have a big deal about smoke alarms. and that, we is, ma- that is true. Anybody, anybody who meets us, my father will gladly walk through your home and office and tell you where your smoke detector should be. I can give you a preview of that. They should not be inside bedrooms because once the smoke and the fire gets inside the bedroom, it is too late. That's correct. So, so... We can then represent to the underwriter in that simple example that I'm giving you that the house is immaculate, it's well-maintained, and there are smoke detectors in every room or in every hallway. You can't do that in a, in a conversation that takes place in paper. So, so are you so suggesting that there, that there is no place in the I. David Gordon view of insurance brokerage relationships for, claim, for strictly claim professionals? Well, I, I don't know how you would define a claim professional, Aaron. To evaluate a claim requires a vast amount of experience, a lot of knowledge. Um, I would rather call them a claim, a claim surveyor 
or a claim evaluator, but I don't view them as an adjuster because I think the final say in the, in the adjudication of a claim belongs to the underwriter. Uh, you know, the adjuster may be, uh, I can tell you a, a, a segue funny story that um, one of the insurance companies that we dealt with many years ago, the claim manager got up to speak to us about a program of insurance that we had, and he was pounding the table saying, I'm the guardian of the company's funds. And it was, it was, it was funny, but it wasn't laughable. Because if he felt that way, then he had a terrible relationship with the person who paid his salary, which was the client. And the underwriter who, who, who gets the client, right. who writes the coverage, that without so, them, he doesn't have the money so, to pay himself. So he's the end game player, and he thinks he's the guardian of the company's vault. So uh, to me, you adjudicate a claim with proper representation uh, uh, of the client, and that requires a deep relationship with an underwriter. When a, when a question of valuation comes up, that may go to the, the adjuster. When a question of what is covered comes up, that goes to the underwriter. So, so, so how much to pay once it's been decided that there's a payment or if it unfortunately gets to the point where there isn't a payment, but whether there's going to be a payment made or not, maybe that's the underwriter broker job and then or the broker to pitch the underwriter on trying to get the best possible payment and then well how much was this how much was that business interruption loss well there's a formula for that and then and then we can go from there that's correct is it a covered loss that's where the underwriter comes in let's talk about covered losses we promise stories and when we talk about claims there's there's a gordon family classic i don't know how long ago it was i mentioned it to you a little bit earlier if you listen to one thing in the podcast Take it away. There was some, some ship with some alcohol on it. That's all I remember. So we had a client who was an importer of, of um, champagne from, from France. And uh, the, 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 it was a marine loss. That means it occurred on a ship over the ocean. And the champagne was shipped on deck. Let's not get into the technical issues of on deck or under deck. And because it was shipped on, on deck, the champagne froze. When it arrived at the port in New York on the west side, it had crystallized. There were little crystals in the champagne. So I was there with the, uh, with the surveyor, and there was no question that the composition of the champagne had changed. You could see the crystals. And the question was, did that depreciate the value to make, it, to make it an insured loss? The answer was yes. We argued correctly that the change in condition of the goods made it an insured loss. When you say we, just for the consumer, what is that? That means you as the broker or you with the underwriter? The underwriter and I. And he was at the pier with me, with his adjuster. And we determined that it was an insured loss, and the insured was there with us. So they said, we're going to pay you the full value of the invoice from France to here for the champagne. And he said, thank you very much. He said, what are you going to do with the champagne? And he said, we're going to destroy it. He said, well, I'd like to buy it back from you. So they said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, I have a reason I want to buy it back. 
So he bought at a discount. At a, of course, at a discount, a significant discount. So he bought back in salvage, that's called, the champagne that he had just been paid for because it changed its, its composition. And then he sold it as an upbranded new kind of champagne because it had crystals in it. It's amazing. I love that story because it has it has the service of being there. It has the it has the hook of making sure that the coverage is there, understanding the maybe not the perfect. It's a very esoteric point, but but the it, it shows a a willingness from the underwriting perspective, and I think from the broker perspective to understand the product. You started with it. We determined the underwriter, the claim person, the insured, and us as their as the mutual representative that the composition had changed. If it was just random champagne from and and they and it could and it didn't mean anything to because it was another client, you might not have cared about the composition. My question though that always follows that is the next question that our clients ask is so isn't that going to hurt me next year? First of all, I had a claim and insurance companies hate claims and they never want to pay and even when they do pay then they non-renew me or they or they increase my premium with amount that I'm not comfortable with. But in that case is it not safe to say that it's quite possible that the underwriter knew at that moment, he bought it back and then he could have seen it for sale, exactly what that person had done with those goods? And do, do you think that that had an impact on the insurance coverage going forward? Because it just, although it's totally legal and ethical, it just, it feels like you're taking money and then making money off of an insurance loss. I believe that our experience has demonstrated that it's the severity of claim that doesn't have a great meaning. It's the frequency of claim that an underwriter will be angry about vis-a-vis a client. I believe that, that, that they expect to pay claims. And I can tell you that we have a client who's the former head of the claim department of two different insurance companies. And I once called him and complained. I said... Geez, I think you overpaid on this claim. And he said, do you know how enhanced my position is out there in the world when that client goes out and says, I have an insurance company that overpaid me on a claim? That's the best advertising I can have. Right, and I mean, we, we, deal, with, we deal with carriers, some of whom for years, similar to our firm actually, that for years live not off advertising, but off word of mouth. The service was so incredible. We on the homeowner side. This may sound a little, a little insensitive, but it's true. The best thing to happen for us and our carriers is that there's an, an apartment building and two units next to each other have the same water damage that comes down. One is our client, and they get incredible service. The work is done. They get let's say all their floors replaced, and it's uh, although it's a frustrating occurrence because. You have to. Your home is under construction, but the overall insurance experience is positive. And then their neighbor has a different experience. They see each other in the hallway and say, "Hey, how's it? did you end up with water in your apartment? Yeah, it's amazing. My broker took care of me. My company took care of me. And the other person is, you know, cursing under their breath, saying, "I hate insurance. Those they're thieves." Well, it, uh, it, uh, the reputation we share the reputation with our underwriters. In our last podcast, we talked about partnership. That's the real issue. In a partnership, we have to make sure that each of us delivers 100% of what we commit to, or the other one gets hurt. So one of the things, one of the tools is to work together to continue our reputation. When there's a claim, 
we have to we have to keep in mind that that client that insured will speak to many people about that claim and if it's a negative experience that client will say listen don't buy insurance from Gordon or from X insurance company or they'll say I need to tell you what Gordon did and as a result you should buy your insurance through Gordon uh, Aaron I could tell you that many years ago we did a survey of a medical group, uh, 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 College of American Pathologists, and we asked them, Who, where are you insured? About 80% of them listed their broker. They didn't even know the name of the company that they were insured with. That's, that screams, and for those of you who are listening, there's our grandfather clock as usual. That screams... David Gordon generation versus Aaron Gordon generation. I mean, in, in your when you did that survey, it had to be how long ago? Forty years. Forty years ago. So forty years ago, internet didn't exist, or, or you know, it definitely didn't exist the way it does today. There was no such thing as an iPhone apps. There was no artificial intelligence adjusting claims, and the and that was what this business was built on. But today, today, don't. It, isn't there a carrier out there who we respect and admire the product that they that they put out? But don't they pride themselves on quick claim response, getting the money into your account as quick as possible, and you don't even realize what's missing? And and that and the model is built on the fact that you don't care about having an agent; you just want a cheap contract because you're betting you're not going to have a claim, or that your claim, I guess, is simple, right? A simple loss. Anybody? Uh, even a simple loss, Aaron, uh, you know, uh, call that 800 number for that insurance company. And if you call it three times in a day, you'll have three different people answering the phone. And you'll have to start all over again. Spell your name. What is your address? What is your Social Security number? What is your policy number? Etc. The The problem that we face in this conversation that we're having in the 50-50 is... How do you convey that boutique service at a distance? Can it be done? My, my question to you would be, even a person who has one claim. No penalty. The, 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 the challenge to getting insurance or obtaining insurance at a, at a fair price even, when a client has frequency, a lot of claims, Everyone can agree that someone who's going to put in one claim a year or two claims a year or one claim every other year of substantial size is, is not – that's not what this industry is built on. But if a person has one claim that's handled properly, that they get or it from their mind They properly, will not have a penalty. And then they save money because they've gone to someone who's giving it to them cheaper because they don't have an agent. Well, but again, you know – I think we get most of our business based on our reputation. I hope that this podcast brings in other business. It's a new way of doing things for me. But I believe we get most of our business based on our reputation. And we represent the reputation of the insurer that we're delivering. So on a given day, we may be able to say that there are four eligible insurers for this client. But we believe it fits into this particular insurer's way of doing things, and here are the reasons. We can actually tell our client what the reasons are. 
I'm not saying these other companies don't deliver what they promise, but without absent a relationship with the client, where the client is merely a policy number. I mean, I see ads on television where, where someone says, I called the company and they knew my name. That's a wonderful way of doing business. If you don't know the name by the, you know, so how do you service someone without knowing their name when they have to start all over again? But the, the question I'm asking from my 2018 born in the late 80s perspective is I, I, there are people out there who are convinced and convinced many others that the, or the benefit of efficiency because technology definitely creates efficiencies – so the ability to for a carrier in on a moment's notice on a weekend to wire funds to the to the claimant to get paid rather than the carrier having to go jump through seven hoops to get uh, check mailed to me, that's more efficient. We can all agree that that's more efficient. And the premium savings because things are more efficient. There's less employees. There's less handholding. Or maybe they don't have an agent and. It's, it's, it's out there. We publicize it. We make commissions. So that's 10 to 12 to 15% right there. Let's look at the classic advertisement here. And they show up at the scene of an auto accident. The adjuster has a checkbook and says to the, his insured client or her insured client, here's a check. I've appraised the damage. Here's a check. And when you sign the check, you release the company from any further obligation. And you've just gotten into an, an auto accident. So you have no idea what to expect. So... You say, gee, that must be an honest person. They gave me a check for X dollars. That's terrific. Now, you drive the car. You take the car to the body shop. They repair it. You drive it out of the body shop, their body shop, which is agreed to that price. And there's a rattle. Remember, you, when you signed this, you signed away everything. Now are you are take they really firm on that? Oh, yes. And then you go back to another body shop, and they say, well, there was hidden damage. That's it. You're done. Wouldn't you rather wait to go to an independent body shop to have them look over the entire car and then get paid so that you know that everything is covered rather than the checkbook methodology or at the scene of the accident? But how much more is that going to cost me? Whatever it is. For the, for, the, for the previous 20 years or for the next 20 you're gonna, years. You're going to lose it in that claim. Imagine your house burning down. God forbid. Heaven forbid. Uh, and, but I, was, and I was just thinking about that. I was you imagine that. your house burning down. The, you, the adjuster shows up and he says, she, sa she looks you in the eye and says to you, Aaron, I know how many square foot you have in your house. Uh, I know it's worth X dollars per square foot. What do you think your contents are? And you say, well, my, you're standing with your wife. Your house is burning down. You're holding your kids. And you come up with a number, whatever the number is. So you say, my house is worth uh, $500,000, and all my stuff in the house is worth 100 And they say to you, no problem. Here's a check for $600,000. See ya. Now you go to rebuild your house. And you, f you find out, gee, you know, we forgot that we, we had a storage room where we had all the kids' summer clothing. And we forgot that we had another place where we had our luggage. And we forgot that the gifts we got for our wedding were really valuable stuff, but we didn't pay for them. So we didn't have a record of their course, therefore it didn't register to us that all those gifts had a value. So six weeks later, you're standing with a contractor, instead of 600,000, 
it's 800,000 and instead of 100,000 of that being for your personal goods it's 200. Wouldn't you rather have your broker come? Oh no, I, I'm not I'm not arguing I'm not arguing that. I have a So you saved $1,000 a year for 10 years, you saved $10,000, you just lost 200,000. I'm I happen to be the, the, a bad example. I'm a, a bad example of the millennial view because you know that I have a I have a not a huge claim going on in my house, but I had an issue in my house. My carrier, who most people who are listening to this will probably know who it is, but we've decided that we're going to leave carrier and, and, and individuals' names off of this podcast, that they've been more than generous to me, maybe somewhat because I'm in the business, but that's the reputation that they have. And one thing that you, that you just mentioned really struck a chord with me, and that is I, I got a notice after the original payment was made that my claim was closed. And being that this was my first intimately personal claim and Michelle my wife is not in the business so she said uh, she said well we haven't even started the work yet why is the claim closed and I said don't worry about it we'll t- well, they'll take care of it fast forward a couple of weeks there was a supplemental piece as you said hidden damage found and another X number of dollars was written and the claim stayed closed the claim never the computer never generated an open claim and I knew that that would be the case because I'm me and I'm in the business. But I was just thinking if Michelle had somebody else, right, on the other end when she opened up the envelope and it said my claim is closed, that is – that's a little concerning. Now, we would hope that our clients would call us and say, what is this? And we would explain the process and this happened to me too and don't worry and things like that. So I guess when those – but is my case an outlier case? No, Aaron. Uh, you know, you said that we could have more than one claim story. We had a huge not-for-profit uh, uh, business that we insured, and that organization had directors and officers liability insurance, and they had a claim. And the insurance company came in and said, we want to settle the claim. Seven of the eight allegations are covered. One is not. So we will pay seven-eighths and you will pay one-eighth. That is what the contract said. I went to the senior claim officer of the insurance company, and I said, the board of this not-for-profit are very prominent New York business people. Are you prepared to tell them that your company, at the end of a terrible claim process, is willing to pay part of a claim, and they, out of their pocket, should pay the difference out of funds they donated to a charity. Are you willing to go before that board and say that? And he said, no, we will pay the other eighth. So these examples that you're giving, Aaron, for the people who deal directly are limited by the verbiage of the contract. The people who we represent have an opportunity to expand that verbiage if there are special circumstances. I think that's the difference. I, I can't always... There have to be some, some negative stories. I mean, have you never had a claim denied? Ever? Sure I have. Uh, sure I have. Sure I have. Um, and uh, we'll, take, we'll take blatant fraud out of it. I'm just saying... Uh, oh, no, no. I insured a building upstate New York. I represented a client upstate New York, a winery. And the winery was built into a mountain. And there was a drainage pipe underneath the mountain, underneath the winery, so that the water that came down in a rainstorm or a snowmelt 
would go under the building rather than into the building. And a tree limb was lodged in that pipe. The, the tree limb froze, exfoliated the floor of the winery, which was not a covered claim. Why? Because exfoliation, freezing, and, def and, and defrosting are not covered claims under a standard insurance policy. Now, there are special circumstances there, but, but sure, that was a huge claim. And by the way, that client was very angry and left me. I was going to say, that must have been one unpleasant conversation. It was very unpleasant conversation. There are extenuating circumstances. I don't want to get into but I've had that happen. But it's a very rare circumstance, Aaron. Remember, we don't represent second- and third-rate insurance companies. And we don't represent insurance companies that we started doing business with today. So, so it's a very rare occurrence that a claim is denied. Uh, I mean, I don't think I can remember 10 in my life that were denied. We had, I'll, because I'll, we're talking about denials, I'll, I'll give a denial story. There was a, over the last 10 years, there have been a bunch of pretty substantial superstorms in the New York area. And we had a, we had a carrier that, so a, a lot, we had a bunch of businesses in lower Manhattan and across from lower Manhattan. And uh, I think it was Sandy that knocked out a bunch of businesses. And so in addition to standard property coverage, a big, a big commercial coverage is business interruption, the ability to uh, get paid for lost profits or income for the period of time that a business cannot function or to pay expenses over that time. And, uh, and we had a couple of clients that were in Manhattan, not on the ground floor, that because the reason why they couldn't get to their building was a flood, the claim was denied because there was no flood coverage. And I remember the conversation vividly. We said, are we supposed to go to a person whose office is on the 23rd floor of a building and say, by the way, you should have flood coverage, not because you, the, the way you view a flood and Noah and the ark coming and the water coming above the ark, that water will get up here. But because if there's a flood to a, to a Con Ed duck somewhere else, that that, would, that, that, would, that that would be under flood or ensuing damage or utility service. The interesting thing of that is that uh, the con a lot of the contracts have changed since then. So that kind of a claim is covered by what we call contingent business interruption. Something happens at a remote location that stops your business from operating. And I went with a senior vice president of an insurance company to the eighth floor of a midtown building. And I said, look, this client has a claim. I understand they don't have contingent business interruption, but here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to explain to a client on the eighth floor of a building why they should have contingent business interruption in case a remote power plant is flooded. I want you to explain that to the client. He didn't pay the claim, but he understood the problem. So sure, there are uncovered claims. So you just named two. I'm with you. I'm just, I, I feel that for the sake of honesty, we, we should... We should, of we course, say that. and we've had fraudulent claims denied. Certainly, we have. We've had we have a claim going now uh, of a client who we know is fraud, and it will be denied ultimately. It, w it won't even be adjudicated because the insurance company did its investigation, and that's proper. But a, a covered claim denied. I find it very or something, hard. something that we could have predicted as being covered. A, a normal course of of life or business or, or, or going on that way. That's my meaning. Is that the advantage that, that the, that your broker can, 
not just sell you the best contract, but also get you that. Maybe it's worth it. Maybe the reason why it's worth it is because you get that extra. The 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 rubber band stretches a little bit further because of that relationship. It's worth it because insurance, if treated as a commodity, is is extremely price sensitive. Insurance as 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 risk transfer. Insurance as securing financial security is not a commodity. So if you view your insurance purchase as a commoditization, then go for it. If you view it as giving you some level of financial security that you'd rather pay, you'd rather pay X dollars over many years in case something happens. I mean, Aaron, if you live to be 120 and never collect on your, uh, and therefore, um, no one collects on your life on your uh, disability insurance. You gonna be angry? We tell people this all the time, and I think that, and and maybe this will wrap up. That trust us on the coverage. We have the rep, we have the reputation, and I I tell my friends all the time, come to me forty years in it, forty years, fifty years from now, and say I spent all this money with you. I never had a claim. And my response is always the same. I'll shake your hand and say I'll buy dinner. I'm so happy that you never had to go through the stress of having a claim or that everything worked out and your house was always available and nothing happened there and your business was always able to function and you were never involved in litigation that insurance would have been involved in. You know what? And now you're retired and you're drinking. I'll buy you dinner because that is great and I'm happy and it, you're right. Insurance is not an investment. We have a client for 49 and a half years. We will celebrate our 50th renewal this year. That client has had several huge claims. Liability claims and property claims. When we bring the underwriter there every year for renewal, we bring the underwriter to the client every year. We brought the CEO of their insurance company there every year. When they walk in the door, he says, thank you for all you've done for me. 100%. But they have claims. So, so why are you buying the insurance? If you think you're not going to have a claim, if you think you're not going to die, don't buy, dis- don't, buy li- don't buy life insurance. If you think you're not going to be disabled, don't buy disability insurance. If you don't think you'll be sick, don't buy health insurance. 100%. I agree with you 100%. And with this, we'll wrap up. This has been the third installment of our IDG 50 for 50 series. Once again, find us at gordoncompanies.com, linkedin.com slash gordoncompanies, gordoncompanies on Twitter and Instagram. Our hashtag, IDG at 50 or 50 for 50. Signing out until next time. Have a great day.